Hello, hello. Gonna get going. Hi, folks. Uh, if you're watching this video after I've streamed it live, make sure and check the notes doc or the, the description for time codes for different things we talk about. Um, yeah, got lots to do, lots to talk about, um, and we'll answer questions. So check the notes doc for that, and we'll get started on housekeeping here in a couple minutes. Uh, but we'll say hello and answer any questions folks have as well. Let me rearrange my windows. Happy Friday, or Saturday if you're Australian, or uh, on that side of the world. Um, hey Bruce, hi Anthony, hi Unexpected Maker, hey David, welcome back. Um, <laughs> and now I want an epic sleep. <laughs> hi Beata, hey Daniel, hi Mark. And Emma. Hello, hello, Emma, as well. Hey, PT. Hi, G3 Holiday. Uh, hi, Yanni. Hey, Randall. Hey, Dave. Twitch is up. Awesome. And hello, David Dessa, as well. And David Buchanan. She waved. Perfect. Awesome. Uh, da, 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 da. Hi, Ham's Lab. Hope you're well. Hey, Charles. How's everything on the West Coast? Pretty good. We had a, a bit of a smoke earlier this week, but it's it's okay. Now we got rain last night, which is awesome. Um, hey, Doctor. I'll do my best to distract you. <laughs> my green ball. Yes, it does. That shadow. <sighs> Get your mind out of the gutter. <laughs> um, awesome. We'll just hang out a little bit. Uh, I do have some work I need to do. I, I have a PR that I'm almost done with that I need to finish. Um, <laughs> hey, Mark Gambler. Uh, or Gambler, I guess. Um... This is classified as work. It's true. But I have... So we're making really good progress on getting to release Canada, actually. We just have been cruising through issues. And so I think I have the last... I'm working on the last one we have to do before we were to do a release candidate. Uh, unless folks find something over the weekend. <laughs> Don says... This is my favorite part of the show. I wonder if Scott is old enough to remember Romper Room. I don't remember Romper Room. I'm 35, so maybe not. Hey, Jeff. No rain in LA, of course. Yeah, we haven't had uh, too much rain here. It was actually kind of weird. Mark says, I've finally ordered my first RP2040 boards assembled by JLC. Looking forward to playing with them. It's a test jig controller thing. 
<laughs> I'm a youngling. I'm glad you think I'm young. I'll, I'll take it. Definitely got some folks in the chat that know Romper Room. My Saturday morning shows. <laughs> Doctor says JP made me spend all my money. He'll do that. That's why we keep him around. Very rainy in Sweden, says Mark. Uh, has the ESP32-S2 hot reload issue been resolved? I've not had a chance to look at it, but RC means maybe. Uh, do we have an issue for it? We've, we have fixed a couple S2 issues recently. Um, and I wanted to talk about, uh, one of them that was a doozy that Jeff and I figured out earlier this week. Uh, Jeff says, yeah, some places too much and many too little rain. Germany was horrible. Oh, yeah, I saw those videos. We'll get rain. It is Seattle after all, but we're pretty dry during the... Well, our summers are pretty dry. Hi, Patrick. Oh, look, it's 2.03. I should get going. <laughs> oh, I have an addition. I have peanuts in case I get hungry, too. Um... <laughs> Uh, hey, Gary Z. Hamslab says, you are young. I'm old enough to have a colonoscopy this morning. My hunger after was sated by some awesome Thai food. Awesome. Thai food sounds good. And Jay Forsian says, hello, I'm here for that ESP bug breakdown. Yeah, Jay Forsian was helping us with it. Don't worry. Peanut dust cannot go through the interwebs. So, doctor, you're fine. I, I mean, I was doing ESP. Well, we were doing ESP stuff. I think it's, I thought it's in pretty good shape. Never too old to learn embedded. You're exactly right, Jeff. Never too old. I only learned it, I guess, five years ago now. But Bruce is making frozen pizza. Okay, here we go. Uh... Hello, everyone. Uh, this is Deep Dive with Scott <laughs> for, uh, what is it, August 27th, 2021. Uh, we do this every Friday, nearly, uh, at 2 p.m. Pacific uh, here on the Adafruit Discord server. Um, I work for Adafruit on CircuitPython. Uh, CircuitPython is a beginner-friendly version of Python designed for microcontrollers, which are these little tiny computers that are very inexpensive and you can just make it do something you want and then set it aside and let it do that forever if you write, uh, if you want. So <laughs> uh, Adafruit is an open source hardware and software company based out of New York City. I work remotely for them, so I'm here in Seattle, Washington, which is on the, the left side of the U.S. if you're looking on a map, um, if you're from outside the U.S. Um, if you want to support me, uh, you can support me uh, by supporting Adafruit, who pays me. They pay me to do this work, uh, including the streams. Uh, so you can go to adafruit.com and uh, purchase stuff there, and that helps pay for them to pay me. Um, if you want to chat with me and a lot of others, uh, we do have an Adafruit Discord server, which is the middle box here. Um, you can join that by going to the URL adafru.it slash discord. Um, so there's... Uh, the Discord chat is uh, is like all all year round or or all 
all the time, not just when the stream is live. So uh, that's really nice. If you're enjoying the folks that are in like the YouTube chat, but you want to chat with them uh, later, that's great. Uh, yeah, next week will be on Friday at 2 p.m. Um, we do shift it to Thursdays occasionally. Um, but yeah, that's about the housekeeping. The last bit is that the cat cam um, that doesn't currently have a cat, he's in here, but he's being a scaredy cat. Um, so Spook is in here, and he is... I don't know, maybe I can take the cat cam for a ride here. We'll probably have to move it when he moves, but... What's that going to be? It's cleaner day today, so he's, he's hi hiding out like a bum. Um, so there we go. He has no choice. <laughs> um, and it's kind of chilly, so he's all curled up. I have the window open. Um, but yeah, so this is Spook. He is epileptic, which means occasionally he has seizures. But uh, since we started the stream, we put him on different meds, and it's been awesome. Um, he's had way fewer seizures, and he's been feeling better, obviously, and all of that. So... Uh, it's been really good. I just want to warn people briefly that like there's a slight, slight, slight possibility that that will happen. Uh, but he's been doing really good, so I don't really expect it. And uh, let me know if he moves out of the cat cam and I'll repoint it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, kitty don't care. Uh, all right, so... Um, got lots of chats here, so let me catch up on the chats before we go further. So yeah, unexpected maker for the hot reload issue. Um, try it out, and if if there if there's not an issue for it, make sure there is one because we're going by the book for that. Um, <laughs> Mark says, "What what's after CircuitPython seven? Will you look at basing it on Zephyr? The number of new boards is just insane. What about the new build system?" Uh, that's a good question. Um, for me, the work that I'm planning on trying to do is uh, after this BLE workflow stuff is done, um, or, or I, I spend a little more time on it, I'm actually, I really want to do the Raspberry Pi support. Um, so that's kind of next on, next on it for me. Um, but we don't have any concrete plans for when we're going to go to 8. Um, and we don't have any concrete plans to base it on Zephyr either. Or, or do the new build system as much as I would like to. Um, the library for the ST7565 isn't in the library collection. How, how do we get it in there? How do we get it in the bundle? Um, to get it in the bundle, you have to add it to the bundle repo. I think that's what you're talking about. Let me switch away from cat cam and make that window a little shorter um, yeah so if you if you need something in the bundle like and it's an Adafruit library you can do PRs to here and then it gets auto-released um, let's see my friend from your state is coming to visit us in October. That's awesome. 
5132 and it's been closed. Okay, great. Yeah, I'm excited for Raspberry Pi and CircuitPython. I just ordered a little uh, wave, not wave share, um, a little HDMI screen to use use with it. The There's a new Adafruit board, the Expressive Pad. There's no support for it yet. Is that the um, the thing that I have behind me? Are you talking about this? Is this what you're talking about, Jeff? The Expressive s2 thing that they made um there's an open poll request for it there's an open poll request for it we're just waiting for a usb pid from um usb pid from espresso for it and then we should get it in um yeah if it if it, it marks if the library for the display you're talking about is not Adafruit supported, then it will go in a different bundle. But we have a circuitpython.org bundle, which is like a, a number of people for stuff supported by a number of people in the community. And then we have a community bundle as well. Um, hi, Keith EE. -E. G3 Holiday asks, when will Whippersnapper go public? Um, I, I, that's not really a question for me. I know like Brent's the person that's been working on that a lot. Um, I think soon. Ham's lab says it has a, it's got a ways to go before it's ready for release. Yeah. Brent's a, Brent's a better person to ask or Lady Ada. Um, I thought they were going to try to be not beta soon, but, uh, I think, so there's like two main people, Lauren and Brent who were working on it. And I think like Lauren was on vacation or something, so they were going to wait. <laughs> so maybe things popped up then, but if you want to participate that you can always ask Brent and he'll let you in. Just because it goes out of beta doesn't mean they'll keep, they won't keep working on it. Anyway, okay, so oh, before I get started, I wanted to plug the Real Python podcast, which I assume David has linked. So thank you, David. Uh, this is a podcast I was on. We recorded it just a few weeks ago, so it should be pretty current. Um, oh, public beta, like no invite needed. I think soon, like next couple weeks, is my understanding. But it's uh, it's not up to me. Uh, yeah, so there, I just did this podcast. It's nice and um, relevant, nice and new. So check that out if you want to hear more back, more of my background and and kind of higher level philosophy stuff. Although I'm always happy to talk about those as well. Um, I got one of the few STEM QT boards that does not come with a CircuitPython library and discovered it too late. What should I do? Um, make a make. Make make one, please. Or check with Katni first, uh, to make sure that she she Katni would know if there's a if there's a library in the works, uh, as well. So Katni's a great person to to check with first. Pierre says, Great podcast, listen to it this morning. Ah, thank you. Yeah, and 
dropped it in the chat too. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, uh, thanks to, I think, uh, yeah, thanks to Chris for having me on. It was a really good discussion. Uh, really enjoyed it. So I always like doing podcasts. So thank you to folks who have recommended podcasts for me to be on. Um, okay, so I think uh, I'm not super set up for it, but we have a bunch of ESP folks in here. And we, yeah, there's this bug that was a doozy. Um, so the way that we know that we're close to, um, the way that we know we're close to doing a release candidate is this is the list of ish open issues for milestone 7.0 and we only have five open, but I think that this one, these bottom two are actually, uh, kind of like we think they're solved already or we want to retest them. So we really, what we're waiting for is we're waiting for this one to get fixed, which has a PR um, already for it. And then I was just working on this hard faults on count IO DNIT. And then this one is, should be pretty straightforward too. So, you know, next week, hopefully we'll do a release candidate for 7.0, which would be great. And uh, the reason we did a bunch of alphas and then we just did like, we have one beta out right now and we we'll probably just go straight to release candidate. and we chose to to be in alpha for a while um yeah david it's your bug um uh the reason we were in alpha for a while is because that was we wanted to stay in alpha as long as we were like were maybe going to change the api still hey paul um so that's why it was like a long alpha and it's going to be a short beta because like we're we're hammering all these things down and Jeff and Jeff and Dan are like on vacation for the next two weeks. So uh, it's going to be me doing a release candidate, hopefully. And then maybe when they're back, we'll do a, a, a stable release. So, OK, so let's look at the closed issues. And we've been cruising through these alpha beta. What's the difference? Um, yeah, so for to us, alpha is, means that the API still could change, whereas beta is like we might add things, but the things that are in there won't change, um, or probably won't change. How long was seven in alpha versus how long a revision is typically in alpha? Um, we had alpha six, so we had six releases of alpha, maybe five. We had Alpha 0, which was not actually a release. And then I think Alpha 1 was not actually a release as well. Um, it's probably a better metric to know how long it was, but I don't actually know. Um, but yeah, there was just like a lot of... like So that's really what drives a major release, is that we want to change some of the APIs. Um, <laughs> we, were, we were there first. We called it Alpha Beta first. It's fine. We won't get to Delta. Um, so yeah, we'll do the next step after beta is release candidate. And the way that release candidate works is uh, it we it's they we think this is stable, but we want to like have some people test it before we call it stable because we do actually have a like pretty big. A lot of people actually just use the stable release, which is good, um, but it means that like we do want to make sure that like we've tested it. So the way this we'll do a release candidate and we let it 
soak meaning we let people try it and use it for like a week and if nothing major comes up then we say okay this is stable and we just mark the same version as stable we just like rebuild that version at seven or as a stable release instead of as an unstable one um so yeah there's a yeah, so that's kind of the process. So so 7.0 is pretty close, and a lot of the work for the stable release actually kind of ends at the release candidate phase, especially if no bugs come up after that, um, which I'm pretty confident in. Uh, as Randall says, I've been using 7. It's pretty good. Yeah, so like 7's been pretty solid, um, and it's going to just, it, especially like Alpha 6, Beta 0, and then the next release, like we went from like 20 plus issues, and we'll be down to zero, so... Uh, that'll be really good. Um, okay, so the the issue that we're looking for, you can see all these issues were just like are pretty recent. Um, but the I forget what I titled it. What did I title it? Like mega issue or something? Um, was so I fixed the Teensy four one. And that was another thing I did. Crash on auto reload. That sounds like what um, Unexpected Maker was referring to. Um, I forget which one it was. It was just fixed today. Ah, this one. The MagTag Vaccination Tracker from David, who's in the chat. Um, this is a weird bug. Magtag vaccines, yes, thank you. Thank you, J4C. Um, I haven't had time to test the crash on auto-reload, see if it's fully fixed. All right, well, folks here should try it. If you find anything like a hard crash, let us know. Um... Should I show this issue? Yeah, I think I have it set up still. Um, but this is this is what David said, is that this demo code from this learn guide, uh, it used to work in Alpha 3, and it stopped working in Alpha 4. And it has a crash loop. So what it does is it says, blah, 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 it gets it, and then... Um, it resets the serial and it starts over. Um, so we tried to fix it and didn't, and we found that it stopped on connect. And and then Dan's asking for a, a more minimal example. Jeff has this more minimal example here. Um, and then Jeff says, oh, this is the watchdog. So it says here, like, the pro CPU has been reset by the watchdog. Happy I did not try. Yeah, it was... Yeah, so this bug, Jeff took two, two days to look at it this week, and then I took, like, a day and a half, maybe two, to look at it, and, and also just, like, hit a wall. We both hit walls on it. So what we did yesterday is Jeff and I got together yesterday and just got on a video chat and looked at it together. Um, and we we used J4CN's code. So um, 
Yes. Yeah, see, here's where Jeff said, like, I didn't get any traction on this, so I'm going to, like, stop working on it. And then Jay Fristine was working on it and gave... Uh, Yeah, and then Jeff picked it up again because I had a different fix that thought we thought it might might work. Uh, but then we had this minimum code here that, that still caused the crash. So I think what I'll do is... Um, not to give it away. <laughs> um, it's a... We figured out why it's a bug and we... We know that it's going to be rare given what it is. It, it has a lot of preconditions, but it's, and it's a bug that's, it, it is present in MicroPython as well. Um, and we have a fix for MicroPython too. Um, but then again, it still takes like a lot of details to hit. And it's, it's more likely to hit with CircuitPython than MicroPython. Um, so first, I guess we should talk about what the wa the watchdog is. So, what a watchdog is, is it's it's a separate piece of hardware that runs separately from the CPU. And what it does is it's just got this timer that says, like, I'm just going to count down. And if I ever get to, to zero, I think it's down. Anyway, it's counting, right? And if it runs out, if time is up, what it does is it resets the CPU. So what it's doing is it's saying, like, um, if you don't feed me, Meaning uh, the way that the CPU can say like, oh, I'm still here, uh, don't reset me, is it writes to a register saying like, oh, like I'm still here. And that resets the timer. So uh, what a watchdog reset is, is that the CPU failed to tell the watchdog peripheral, like the separate peripheral electronics, like, hey, I'm still alive. Which basically means that you're like, C your CPU is not alive anymore. Um, and therefore you reset. So... Um, let me show you. It's got all these debug prints, and I think what I'll do is I'll go over all the debug prints because I think people uh, want to see want to see it. So uh, I'm in NRF land. So let me just switch. This is the bug IT, so I should talk about that one first. Fix GPO. All right, I'll just leave that. And then I need to check out fixed GC network and ESP32. So one thing I did do is I tried to update the IDF thinking maybe it's not our bug. Um, so that's why I'm, when I switched, I have to, I have to get it back updated. So now we're on clean. We're on this git GC network. I'm going to build it for the mag tag. And while I do that, I'll show you the mag tag that I've got. So, uh, my setup is a little wonky. Um, let me show you. So here is my mag tag. And this is why I get uh, get the products is that I, I have hacked it. So these the green and yellow wires here are coming off the, the UART that is the debug UART 
Um, and then I have this plugged in just to get ground. And then that ground is going into this chip, which is a, a USB to uh, serial converter. So what that allows me to do is it, it, it allows me to see out, debug output from the ESP, even though uh, the USB is not connected, which is really, really handy for um, debugging. So like generally the approach that we took there isn't a debug port, at least a special debugging version. So usually um, with boards, like the chips and the boards, boards are not that different. And so a lot of times where you have a case where you need debug access, you can actually take the code that causes a crash or something and move it to a board that does have easy debugging access. Uh, but this was a weird enough bug that we did actually, I think, need to have it on a particular thing. So what am I doing? I am plugging in the USB to serial converter and the nice thing about having this separate is um, the USB to serial converter can like pick it up from the very beginning. So this right now it, this actually has the code fixed on it. So if I just plug it in, we'll start to see output. Um, and that's, I just hit, hit into the bootloader here. Um, but this is like the debug output that you get when you normally power on. So this is like ESP ROM. This is code that is burned into the chip. And then from here, this is bootloader code. Um, and it's giving us some information about like what version of the IDF we're using, how we're setting up the flash chip, how we're setting up our memory tables, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then I hit it again. That's why this happened is that I hit the reset button. Um, and we started up again, but this time we started up and we went into TinyUF2, which is um, the bootloader. So we have that. And oh, we don't need this. That's JLink from NRFSF. Um, oh, and my. Ugh. It was complaining because I had the wrong ESP environment. Yeah, so if folks have. Um, questions, feel free to ask them. I really dislike how console history doesn't just isn't shared across all console histories. It doesn't make any sense to me. Okay. Like if I try to do a make command now, it's not going to know what I'm talking about. It's like, you know what I'm talking about. There we go. Uh, da, 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 da. Talking about debugging, I was trying to control the NeoPixel on my Feather 840 with a guide with no success. Couldn't find Adafruit Beely services Nordic in docs to help troubleshoot the Beely UART. Um... Adafruit Beely Services Nordic is going to be in the Adafruit Beely library. 
Um, if you're using five or using five, using seven, uh, there are now two UART. If you're making your own UART or you're using code that does, there will be two UARTs, which could confuse things. That That's something I need to look into next week because there's now a, a, a UART that CircuitPython controls. Um, I decided to test 7.0, but the mag tag I was going to update happens to be running the vaccination tracker. Is the fix for this in the beta zero? It is not, but I think... We merged it earlier, so it might be in S3 by now. Um, I think I think it was merged. Um, oh yeah, so I have I have some code in here that I need to undo. Um, I was trying to fix it, and I'm trying not to give it away. So I'm actually gonna do a git reset soft head minus one. So what this does is it, it steps one back commit, but it leaves all the changes. When you use this with end new object with finalizer, does the class have to have a finalizer or does it handle it automatically? We looked at this, it look it does handle it automatically. It, it looks for the Dell method and if it doesn't work, it's fine. So that, that was not the problem. Um, See if I discard that. Spoilers. <laughs> Fish history merged. That's exactly what I need. Let me open that in a tab. Because I'm not going to do it now. But It drives me nuts. It drives me nuts that I have to like magically get the right terminal session. It's... Yeah, makes no sense to me. All right, so we're building, and it's going to show up in ports, ESP32S2, mag tag, and we're still going. Seems like it was once part of fish shell and removed, probably for performance. Hmm. All right, so I'm dragging it over. So this is the broken version, should be. Um, so we'll take a look at the output here. Can you, can, is that doable? Can you see that? I know the colors are a little bit bad, but I could make it bigger probably. So we restarted. Oh, and even more spoilers. Hold on, let me. that oh it's here don't look don't look don't look <laughs> okay so I'm gonna put it back into the bootloader so it, it is doing the same thing but it's doing it for a different reason um, rebuild I wanted to crash I left this branch here so we could see all the printf debugging that we had done. (laughs) 
Oh, trying to use code from the guide. Yeah, um, I need to take a look at that for sure. Okay, so here we go. So let's take a look at this. Hopefully folks can read it. 100% here because I like hanging out, not because I understand it. Can CircuitPython do quad and or OctoSpy? It can definitely do QuadSpy natively. You can't like set up QuadSpy from within CircuitPython code. Uh, but if you have a board that does QuadSpy, you can. And you, Octo, we don't have any boards that do it, but it probably wouldn't be that different. Um, yeah, Pierre, go ahead and file an issue to remind me. I'm, I may not. We can always close it. Okay, so this first one is uh, ignorable because that's just me hitting back into the bootloader so it doesn't just keep going around and around. Uh, but this is the reset that we're interested in here. We have this, um, it says TG1WTDDWDT. Uh, so what that's telling us is that the reason that it reset is for timer group one, the watchdog timer went off. And the IDF uses this timer to make sure that uh, the CPU is being responsive to interrupts. So there's two, there's two watchdogs that the, the IDF has. One is a an interrupt one, um, so it's making sure that like interrupts for Wi-Fi get serviced, and then the uh, other one is like a task one. So that's like further down into the real-time operating system, making sure that the real-time operating system is sharing time, uh, sharing CPU time with things. So this is the case where it's actually the, the interrupt watchdog timer that's having a problem, which is pretty wild. So uh, what I found here is I, I turned on debugging and I got this got IP event done. And then what I found is that we were starting to do a collect uh, collect is the process for um, collect is the process for finding what memory is no longer used and then freeing it. Um, and so, let me I guess let me just tour the code with this. Um, and but these are all my NRF files. It's okay. So we're gonna not be in NRF. We're gonna be in so. Where, we're, where we are right now is we're in main here. And there's this, there's a lot in main. Oh, I ended where I wanted to. So there's this GC collect call. So this is, uh, this is the process of looking in all the places that memory still could be referenced. So uh, we do collect start and then we look in the CPU registers. We look in uh, the, the mount table then we do background objects. We do objects for different CircuitPython things. You can see here we have these prints. So these ESP early log Ws, um, these are uh, print. These are printfs basically. Um, and the the W here is like level. So you can see I I is informational. W is warning. E is error. D is debug. Um, it's a way for like you to leave stuff in and control like how many messages you want. Uh, but I, I tend to pick it just because, like, what color I want it to be. Um, 
So if we look here, we have this collect BLEIO, collect USB HID, collect to Wi-Fi, collect after Wi-Fi. But if we look here, we see that, oh, we're, we're only getting to collect USB HID. And then basically all the stuff below we added later. So we kind of started from the top level trying to figure out like at what point are we going into the state that it's just hung and then the watchdog time timer kills it. Uh, so we said, oh, well, we're, we're doing USB HID. So Jeff, who was working with me on this, taught me this trick on how to print out the file name and the line number. Um, so if we go back here and we pull up that file, it's going to be in shared module USB HID init C. And in fact, we can look at 249 as the line number. So 249, you can see we have the imports for the logging. And then there's this USB HID GC collect. And Jeff had this additional trick where he does a define of X and that does the print. And because the print has this file and line on it, you can put it in multiple places, and the, but the print will be different. Um, so what we were doing is we were saying, okay, well, we're the, our problem is somewhere in this function. So let me add prints to it. <laughs> And lots of prints. These are separate ones because we're printing device ID and stuff. Um, let's see. Let's see if I can make this a little bigger. Um, sorry, I'm not used to working on a tiny screen. Uh, yeah, so you can see there's a lot of prints here. Like we didn't add these all in one go. We had to do multiple iterations. Like remember, this is this is at the end of our debugging. This is not the full debugging process. We spent three solid hours doing all of this stuff. Um, but yeah, so we did these prints here. We figured like, oh, we're getting in the loop. But now once we're in the loop, I wanted to print device ID. We actually found an issue where this index here was wrong and it's been fixed separately and it wasn't the cause of this bug. Um, and then we figured out like, oh, this is working, but somewhere in here is not. Um, so yeah, <laughs> yeah. I just keep adding more prints to solve a problem uh, to figure out where that problem is. So what is this telling us? Let's take a look back here. Um, so here we can see like, okay, we're getting into it and we're on iteration zero and iteration zero. And then this is the memory that we're doing. Um, and then if we look back, so the nice thing about here is like this same thing occurred earlier. So here you can say these see these same exact prints. So what is this line 264 doing? Uh, let's pull it back up. So line 264 is this like okay we're we're printing out the in report buffers at that index, which is then passed to GC collect pointer. So what GC collect pointer is is it says okay this is something on the heap, so I want you to remember that we're using it still. And then furthermore, I want you to look inside of that memory. And if anything looks like it could be another pointer, recurse and, and keep all of those things around too. Um, so let's pull that up. Pi GC uh, collect. Pointer. So just GC collect pointer calls GC mark. 
uh, and Mark is here. So, and you can see there's this more, more prints here. Um, okay, so we have GC Mark, and then the very first thing we do is we say, hey, let's make sure that this pointer that we're marking is actually on the heap. So this, we know the bounds of the heap, so we can say like, is it in those bounds? Um, and is it not null as well? So generally this should keep us from like doing anything bad. Um, but then we have these prints. These prints are guarded by that particular address that we know is the one that causes the problem. Um, so what we'll do is we'll see file and line number here. And then what we're doing is we're doing ATB get kind at head. And then we're doing some more stuff. So ATB is the, what's the A stand for? Allocation? So there's, there's always a cost to having dynamic memory, right? So this is why, for example, you buy a, a hard drive, it's, you know, 512 gigs. Uh, and, but then when you format it, you get like 400 and something gigs instead, right? Like one of the reasons that is, is that you have to have room for all of the metadata about where all the information is. So for the heap, um, in MicroPython, there's, there's two, one or two, uh, pieces of metadata that you need, uh, in addition to the memory, the, the data itself. First, you have the ATB, which is the allocation table. And what that's tracking is that's tracking for this, for this set of blocks. So instead of tracking each individual byte, we actually say like, we're actually, so that would take a lot of metadata memory to track every byte. So instead, what we do is we track, we track 16 bytes at a time. So we call 16 bytes at a time a block. And that's the minimum size that you're going to allocate uh, on the MicroPython heap. Uh, so the ATB has information about the state of each block. Um, and it keeps track of things like whether it's free or used or marked. Me marked means um, that you will keep it around. We won't free it. Um, so... That's the first thing. And then what happens after is if you have it on, there's a thing called the finalizer. And so a finalizer is a function that's that gets called when memory is freed. Um, in Python, this is the dunder del. So underscore underscore del. Um, generally, we don't recommend people to use it because we it's not clear when that code is run. Uh, because that code is run when the memory gets freed and you don't know when that is, right? Like Python manages when memory is created and when it's destroyed for you. Um, it's not explicit, it's in implicit. So there's so in MicroPython, there's the ATB table and then there's also an FTB if you have it on. And the FTB is just a bit array that for every block, if it's a one, that means, oh, it has a finalizer. Um, and then after the FTB, there's just the memory that's used for the user data um, split by into 16, 16 byte blocks. Okay, so what this is doing is it's kind of hard to see because there's all these prints. But what it's doing is saying, okay, first let's check the pointer. And if it's the pointer is fine, we'll do this th log on 371. So we see the log on 371. We then see 376, 381, 
and then 385 this is the block id so this is the basically the the start the the address minus the start divided by 16 or something like that so if we look at um 385 we can see that we're printing block here so we we did block from pointer so we got the block number and then we did um ATB head to mark. So this this is said like uh, mark the head. That means that it's used. Um, Pier either either way. I'll libraries or CircuitPython is fine. Not the bundle. Don't do the bundle. Um, there's a couple issues on the BLE libraries already uh, that I have to look at. Um, and then there's this GC mark subtree of the block. So that's 385 and then 389. So if we go back here, so we get the block and then the two. So so notice the line number is very different. So let's go. This is this must be in Mark subtree. Let's go check. Take a look at what Mark subtree does. And this is what I was talking about. Mark subtree is, is going to take a look and say, are any of these things, um, are any of these things on the on the heap as well? And therefore, we need to keep them. So we get the block in, and this is not usually here starting block. Uh, usually, it just mutates block. But I wanted to, I wanted to keep starting block around so I could do these prints. So. First, what it does is it figures out, okay, how many blocks am I looking at? So it says, uh, starting with my block, do I need to look at more blocks after me uh, for pointers? And then check this block's children. So um, first, we convert this block back to a pointer. So this is pointing to where the block starts in memory. And then um, for... So I is going up to the number of, <laughs> so this is the number of blocks. So in this case, it's two, because we printed out the two, times bytes per block, which is 16. And then we're dividing it by the size of a void pointer. So this is going to be four. Um, the magic number 12, uh, 128.003 is just the block number that, it's the block number that is causing the hang. So something is wrong with that block number or something related to that block is wrong. Uh, not to give that away. Um, or, yeah. So what we're doing here is for that particular block, we're going to mark its subtree. And then we're going to go look at every pointer. So every four bytes. A pointer is four bytes. Um, yeah, it's very specific to this debug issue. Um, we're gonna we're gonna count down from the. <laughs> this is a way to just loop the number of pointers, uh, but then this pointers plus plus, it's it's starting from the start and working its way up, checking each thing through a pointer. Um, yeah, the, all these ifs are are confusing. Sorry about that. Uh, it'll make more sense. So this is just saying if the starting block is the one we care about, print it out. We don't want to print this out for every block, otherwise we get like tons of output. Um, so we're going to print out the the where pointers is pointing, 
And then what happens here is we dereference the pointer. So we read the value at that pointer, and then we print that out as well. So what we hear, see here is we're reading this pointer here, and it's 0. OK, that's fine. It's not on the heap. We're, we're done. We keep going. We look at this f4. It's 0. We're fine. f8, it's 0. fc, it's 0. And then the last thing we do is we try to read 3f8, 0, 0, 0, 0. And it just stops, right? Like nothing, nothing continues to happen. And eventually the watchdog timer comes along and says, oh, something really bad happened. We have to just reset. Um, so that was kind of troublesome. Yeah, exactly. Dexter has the kind of the explode emoji. Um, one thing we did look at is if we go, let me not show you my downloads directory, but let me pull up the technical reference manual. So um, technical reference manual for the ESP32 S2. Oh, and we're on the right page too. Um, I'm glad this was so easy to fix. Yeah, right. 258 could be a problem. <laughs> Folks like that I, I haven't given it quite away. Um, okay, so what we have here is this is the address mapping. So the way this is the idea of memory mapping. So um, there, the CPU can say, I want to read this memory address. And that memory address may not actually be in RAM. There's like different ranges that go to different places. We talked about the, the different buses before, like we did the the system on a chip kind of layout stuff. So typically with there, you'll get like one memory bus will have like one big memory range and then it that memory bus will then split that range up into smaller pieces for different things that are connected to it. Um, so the, the place that we are at is we're here in this two and a half or 10 and a half megabyte chunk that goes between 3F50000 and 3FF7FFFF. Uh, it's 10 and a half megabytes and it, it it's a way to read external memory, but it's actually cached. Now, the weird thing is, is that, oh, look, this is the address that we're trying to read, 3FF800000. ESP32 is Harvard architecture. Yes, it is separate buses. That's what it's showing me. <laughs> Yeah, it looks like it is. The the extensive CPU that's in in the S2 is. Um yeah, so so oh oh no, like the 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 memory address we're trying to read is marked reserved. So um usually what will happen is when you do this, you'll get an exception immediately. Usually what will happen is on ESP32 S2, you may have seen this before, you'll get like a load prohibited and when that load prohibited happens, you'll get the panic handler. And then the panic handler will give you a backtrace. And that's really handy and helpful. And it's very clear like where your code was when it did the thing that it shouldn't have done. Um, however, uh, in this case, it looked like uh, we're not actually doing that. What's happening is that like the, the memory bus itself is like just saying, like, I'm working on it perpetually, which is stopping everything from happening. So 
interrupts are, aren't happening, no code is being run, and eventually the watchdog timer kills you. This isn't the first time I've heard of this happening. Um, Damien had warned me and told me about a bug that he hit on an STM chip that's a Cortex-M7 where he had the similar thing happen where um, the CPU was trying to load an address. So on the Cortex-M7s, it will try to start memory fetches before you actually need them, which means that like for all the data that you're looking at, if it's within the ranges it thinks it can prefetch, it will. Um, and so he had had this problem that was really tricky to debug where um, he was just doing some computation, like SSL computation or something, and it was hitting uh, some value that the CPU was trying to prefetch, which was then shutting the whole thing down, like shutting the whole memory bus down, preventing everything from happening. Um, and so I kind of knew that, like, oh, one failure mode when you read a bad address could be that, like, everything just stops. Um, and so that's the case that we're... Ha we're seeing here is like oh we're reading we're trying to read this um 3ff80000 and so my next reaction was like okay well are we setting up usually there's a one way for that failure to happen is that there's what's called a memory protection unit um and this is in the higher end cortex series stuff as well where you can like the imx i did all the code for the imx that says like oh like your RAM or your flash could is two megabytes, but they've allocated, say, 16 megabytes of address range for that. And so you have to tell the memory protection unit, like, oh, only allow me to read the first, um, the first two megabytes of that range. And if I re accidentally read outside of that, just crash. Um, yeah, the baud baud rate is 115, 200, I think. That's what mine defaults to. Um, so, so yeah, I would like originally said like, Oh, let me, let me see if there's a memory protection unit that's configured wrong, but I couldn't find it. And so I actually reached out to, um, Ivan who works for Espressif and he was very interested in this as well. Um, we, we chatted, Jeff and I chatted with him yesterday and he said that it really shouldn't happen. Like, the, the fact that like it the the system on the chip got hung based on a memory read is kind of bad and that um, it shouldn't do that. He said it should either do a load prohibited or it can cause like there if you hit the cache in an area that the cache is not servicing, like it will raise an exception and cause a panic as well. Um, and then maybe maybe when you read a bad address, you just get like zeros back or something. So this is a really weird case where we're reading and we're causing it to hang, um, which is bad. And so the thing that I commented earlier when I said it was failing early was uh, one thing he asked us to check is that uh, that if we read this address right when we start, it still causes a problem. It's not dependent on like the sequence of reads that we did prior to that. And that was the case. So it, it should be easier for them to debug. They don't have to like get this all working to get one particular sequence. If you read that address, you'll you'll hang everything, um, which is not great, I guess. <laughs> uh, but they're they're going to take a look at it uh, and figure it out. So now the question is is like, okay, why are we reading this? <laughs> like 
something is wrong with circuit python still that is causing us to read this invalid memory so let's go back and take a look at our output again so w what we did is like okay we're in gc collect now we're collecting the usb hid stuff we're looking at this particular pointer and we're looking through it to make sure that anything else is here so we've looked at the block and we've said oh we need to look at two blocks worth of data for that um, and then we'll go through that but notice that the fifth thing that we do so one two three four five the fifth thing we do is where we have a problem um, and a block is four pointers um, so if we go back up here and take a look when we did it last time when we collected this memory before so here's that same address it's here's the same block but now oh wait like the length of this allocation used to be one it's one but and we only did four reads we didn't try to do that fifth one that screwed us up so this one is a problem or this one is correct the two is a problem um so we looked here and we said oh you know what the thing that occurs after the atb or no, what we did is we, we said, okay, why? how do we come up with this too? So we looked back at the code and we said, oh, there's this do while loop that's n blocks. So we say we do one increment. So it's always going to be one. And then we're going to do atb get kind of the next block. Um, so not 128.003, but 128.004. Um but then what we did is we printed out we found this print where is it it's in gc init oh, the cat is on the move um yeah so there's this print here so we said wait well like is there any room between the atb and the ftb Maybe we're actually, when we're reading that very final uh, ATB, ATB entry for the, the, the block after the last block, we're, we're reading into the FTB. So that was, that was what the problem was. Um, so if we look up here, where did I print it out? Right, so here's the GC layout. Um, if that evil read has a kind, then maybe create an exception to skip it. I mean, yeah, we weren't doing it correctly. So, so here's the alloc table. The alloc table is at this address. It's this many bytes long for this many blocks. And then the finalizer table starts at this address and is this many bytes for this many blocks. So what happens if we take this number and we add 32001 to it? So Python hex plus 32001, and we get 3FD88129, which happens to be the start of the finalizer table. Um, so we said, oh, I wonder what the difference between those two collects must be that something is 
changing the state of that first entry of the finalizer table, which we're inadvertently reading as the final block or the, the block after the final block. Um, so then we go to the code and we say, okay, well, how many places do we mark the finalizer? And there's just one place that we actually set that memory. And it's in GC alloc. We do the allocation. This is the code that searches for a place to allocate. Um, and then we say, oh, if finalizer is enabled and the memory that we're allocating has a finalizer, um, then we do this FTB set for the given block. So here you can see that we have these de this debugging. We say, if the starting block of the thing that we allocated is less than eight, meaning it's at the very start of the heap, um, we know that we have this problem with these two blocks. So let's just read the kinds. <coughs> <laughs> Sorry, I hope it, I hope it wasn't too loud. Um, so let's read the kinds of the that that last block and the block after the last block. Um, if if the thing that we're setting is under the the first eight blocks, and that's what we have here. Let's scroll up again. So that's what we have here in green. <laughs> Thank you all. Uh, so yeah, so before before this allocation that we're printing out, we can see it's zero and or one and zero, and that's the case where it's going to be length one. But then we say finalizer for block one, so that's the block that we're editing, and then after we set it, it's now one and two, which is what <laughs> will be. Uh, now interpreted as uh, that last allocation being length two instead of length one. Um, so this is a doozy. So the problem is, is uh, there's a couple ways to fix it. So if we pull up um, MicroPython. MicroPython is where we found it. And I realize like maybe it's not actually a MicroPython issue, but they do actually have the same problem. Um, you can see problem in GC mark subtree in specific circumstances, right? So a lot has to happen for this to be a problem, right? It's like the thing that's allocated in the second block has to have a finalizer in order to get the correct value so that it's the tail. And then the thing at the like then you need a thing that's allocated at the very top of the heap as well, which CircuitPython, that's where CircuitPython will put things that are long-lived. MicroPython doesn't do that, which means it's like less likely that something happens at that last slot. Um, although anything that runs to the, or that uses that very last slot could be a problem. Um, Keith E says, so there are conditions where the amount of memory GC needs to free is sized so that crash doesn't happen. There are conditions where the amount of memory GC needs size so that crash doesn't happen. Not sure what you're thinking. So the problem is, is that when the ATB table actually needs a final entry, right? The ATB table needs an extra entry for the 
the thing after the last block. Um, or, or, or if when you're doing the check for it, you could check if you're at the last one. Um, so here you can see what Jeff said. Like, this is a problem. Um, I said, actually, this could only be CircuitPython because of the way we do long-lived. But then Jim said, I believe the same issues exist in MicroPython. Uh, Mark subtree will check get kind on block plus one. But I don't think it ever could be triggered because there's no way in MicroPython block zero will have a finalizer. I.e., it's very common that the final block will be ahead, but zero chance that the first block will have a finalizer. Having an empty byte at the end end of the ATB might actually be the cheapest way to solve this. The alternative is to do to make the do while loop at the start of Mark subtree also check that it hasn't gone past the end of the heap, but that comes at a code size and performance cost. I missed the reasons for the finalizer. Could you review what finalizers are for? So finalizers are a way to have code run when something gets freed. So for example, you know, we, we do a lot of pin in use tracking and we don't do this very well, but what we could do theory, in theory is we could say, if you, if you create a digital in out and you're using a, using a pin and then you delete that or you overwrite it so you no longer have access to the object, we could actually call dinit for you and give you that and free that pin at some point uh, when you're like, it's like a destructor. Yeah, it's it's a destructor, but you don't know exactly when it runs. And this is a it's a Python thing. Um, context managers are the proper way to do it in Python, uh, but you can't actually do it uh, as a as the Dell method instead. Um, yeah. So the actual fix is that. Um, yeah, so Jeff says, my gut is the cost is to pay an extra byte of ATB space for one eighth of all the possible G GC heap sizes, right? So th this is only a problem if you fill up that last byte of uh, the ATB because the ATB is only two bits. Um, the ATB is two bits per block. So if you have, um, yeah, so I guess that's not, it's one in four GC sizes. So if it happens to be divisible by four, then you're going to have this problem. Um, but yeah, so basically you always need to have a little extra space for that little, that um, like end block plus one state to just always be zero so that you end. Um, and that the finalizer state doesn't impact it. Um, so yeah, here's the fix um, that we merged in. So here's a memory check. Jeff did actually reproduce it on the Unix side. Um, but basically what he's doing is he's saying total byte length minus one. So set aside a single byte um, if we're doing the finalizer thing. And then that causes it to always have a little bit of a gap. Um, so yeah, it's it's kind of an off by one error as well. But it was a lot of a lot of work to run down this pretty simple uh, simple thing. Key says that was what I was poorly phrasing. I was trying to replicate it, but hit a point where I couldn't replicate the bug, and couldn't figure out why. 
I must, it must have been, I hit a lucky, didn't fill the last byte of the ATB, ATB when I was working on it. 100%. So, you know, I said I spent like a day and a half, two days on it. And the place that I got stumped was, um, Jeff kind of jumped back in and said, hey, if I turn off long living, it doesn't crash. It, it works okay. And so that was like, oh, weird. Like long living is what allocates to the right hand side of the heap. And I just fixed another bug where if you take something that you allocated at the at the left side and then you long live it, what happens is you is you move it to the other side. And if that's okay if if you know the all of the references to the original one, you switch it. But there could be bugs if if you move something and something else was pointing it to it in the first problem in the first spot, like that can cause issues, and that's what the the I squared C display thing was a problem. Um, confused left and right. So let me find. Um, is that on my YouTube channel? I've got some really good visualizations for this. And I'll just play it because it's like a minute long. Um, yeah, so let me see. Grover even made. Uh... See, Grover even made some sound, so I'll turn on the desktop sound here. Pause desktop audio. Um, so this is this is how CircuitPython still allocates. So this is in 2x. You can see it just starts from. It starts from the left hand side and grows up. It's too loud. Okay. So this is this is how MicroPython still allocates, um, and this is how we allocated in 2x before we added this this long living stuff. So low mem memory addresses are on the left and the high memory addresses are on the right. And you basically kind of like fill things up as you go along. And that's where p things will stay as long as you refer to them. But then once you hit the end and you run out, you have to go through and figure out all the spots that you, all of the spots that you're no longer using. And that's where you can place the next set of stuff. Um, so here you can see like it, it's got kind of like a Swiss cheese to it all. Um, and this is why people can get really frustrated where they say, I'm trying to do this allocation. It says it's this long. And then when I do mem free, it says that um, it says I have more space. Right. But this is this is what we call heap fragmentation. Like you have a lot of free space, but none of it is next to each other. Um, it's all kind of split into smaller things. Um, hi, Alvaro. I forgot to say hi. I saw your message though. Uh, so let's, let's keep watching this. So yeah, so now this is with, uh, apparently in 3x we added long live. So it's been in there a long time and we still are finding issues with it. It's a little tricky, but I'll, sh I'll show you why I'm still happy we did it. So, um, this is like a, uh, like a very basic version of what's called a, a generational garbage collector. So in that first case, after we had swept everything, what we could have done if we had the ability to is we could have squished everything together and that would 
that would be called kind of a generation. So like you, when you started, you didn't know how long somebody, something was going to be used for and therefore you treat it all the same. But the moment that you can go in and say, here's the stuff that I'm no longer using, but everything else I know that I've used for a while now, then I can like, if you have a layer of indirection, you can squish it all together and, and get rid of that fragmentation. But we don't, we don't have indirection um, in MicroPython and CircuitPython. Uh, so what we have to do instead is we have to actually um, choose to be deliberate about where we place it when, when at the start. So um, one thing we do now with this long live stuff is we assume that if you import something, it's going to be around. Um, and so what you'll see is, that, and there's a couple other kind of rules for things that we know that are going to stick around, like um, all of this Q strings, for example, we know that those, that those data structures don't get freed. Like when you import a, a string and it gets Q stringified, like it, it sticks around. Um, and this is actually the topic of like one of my, like my first deep dive that I did before I started doing it regularly. So there's a lot more time of me talking about this. Um, but let's keep watching this just to show you. So what you'll see is that there, there will be some things that are just allocated on the right hand side, which is the long lived portion of the heap. And that's where that uh, USB HID block was causing trouble is we were, we were allocating that long lived from the get go. And so that's why we kind of guaranteed that we were going to have that something in that spot. And which is why the bug disappears if you turn long lived off. Uh, okay, so let's play, let me play this. Right, so, so this is the case, um, this is the same code as the, as the time before. Um, and what you can see on the right hand side in this long lived area now is that we have like very few gaps, right? Like it, it doesn't guarantee that there are no gaps, but there are very few gaps, which means that uh, on the left hand side, the free spaces that we have are larger and more contiguous, which means we can do larger allocations later in, in the evolution of the program. Um, so yeah, I'm really happy that we have this long list stuff, but it, like it is a source of bugs. Um, but yeah, let's see what else it does. So what a lot of this is, is it's a lot of like importing modules. So all the stuff you create as you imports on the left hand side until the import is done and then it gets moved all to the right hand side. Uh, and we actually do a collect after that import happens too. Um, because if we can keep stuff like as far left as possible, then uh, we leave this like, if you ever want to do a big allocation in the middle, we'll still have this space. Um, so yeah, I think I, I'm really happy with this uh, visualization that I did. I think it's pretty neat. No, I'll link to it. Um, I think that covers it. Does that cover it? But yeah, the planets have to line up for the bug to appear. Yes, it's, it's definitely like a, a rare bug. Um, it is a bug, but like it's been in MicroPython and CircuitPython for five years, right? Like 
<laughs> Did you discuss what needs to be done when things are moved from left to right in an earlier podcast? Um, I... Maybe... There's only a few places that we actually do it. We like we could just find those. So it's like, um, like we were just looking at these. So you can just search for like, if you just for look for like long lived. Um, here's the script that generates that visualization. And then you can see like pew pews making something long lived. Here's the mechanics from the GC. You can say like, oh, like object object module, like the globals dictionary for the modules put there. Um, here's another dictionary that we're making long lived. So like, Assuming somebody's pointers needs to be updated. So yeah, as a general rule, if you're, um, what you'll see here is like, occasionally you'll see it in like a port. Um, there, this is actually not everything. There's all, also allocators that have LL in it. Um, if you look at LL and let's just look in pi, like see all these variants. These are variants that, that do long-lived applications as well. So like if you're if you're creating a UART, for example, and you're doing a buffer and you're gonna hand that buffer to like ASF or like whatever the, the vendor HAL is, like if you're making a pointer that you need to pass to the vendor HAL, um, or you're you're there's a second place it's gonna be stored besides a, a Python dictionary, then you wanna make sure that it's long-lived. Um, cause, because the second copy won't be updated. The, we only know how to update the, uh, co pointer copies that are in dictionaries. Um, so it does compaction if needed. So it, it doesn't really compact, so to speak. What it does is it will move, uh, like dictionary trees. It will move dictionary, tr like trees of objects from dictionaries, like when a module is imported, uh, it will move those to the long-lived section. Um, and it's hoping that it's doing it before there are any other references to it, <laughs> uh, which is not always true. And that's why you get some bugs around it. Um, but yeah, kind of like you, ha you have to do it early. So all of this long-lived stuff only impacts, it only impacts the allocation process. It does not impact the freeing process. So the freeing process is all the same. Um, it's only the out, it's only the decision of where in the in the heap to put it that that is different. Um, but yeah, so it's it's a bug that would not it would be harder to tickle this bug without long living, but it is not actually a long living bug. Um, the I squared C display bug that I fixed this week was not a long living bug either. There's another case where we move memory, um, and that's for displays. So if you create an object that we use for a display because we keep displays alive after the 
VM goes away, we move memory then as well. And we had a bug with that uh, for the I squared C display. Um, so yeah, that's definitely in the weeds and it took us a while to figure out and it was pretty relatively simple when we, when we figured it out. Um, but yeah, thanks for the report, David. And it was thorough enough that we could reproduce it. Oh, and Jay Frisian has the, the OG deep dive. <laughs> All right. Uh, any questions, any topics you want me to cover? Otherwise we could, I, I could jump into these NRF things that I was working on. Any other directions you'd like me to wander before we do that? Oh yeah, this is a unrelated. I, I pulled this up. This is a right to repair bill for Washington state, which I didn't know about. Um, but for those of you in Washington and want to do that, uh, let me know. Oh yeah, I, I positioned the camera again. Doctor wants a cat check. So let me. He's in his bed now. All curled up because the window's still open. <laughs> That's gotta have been a pretty awesome feeling once you get it all working and figured out why it happened. Yeah, we actually like. I immediately pinged Lady Ada and said, "Lady Ada, we figured it out." And, because she was like, let me know when you figure this out. These bugs are really tricky. So yeah, we were... And then we talked with Ivan about it, too. So yeah, is this a kitty break? Peanut break. Should I mute it so you don't have to listen to me? I could play the video again. Mm. <laughs> hmm. My debug output is garbled, although I have one fifteen two hundred set. What are you debug? What is on the thing that you're trying to listen to? Because I think that we have um. I think we set it in the CircuitPython config for 115.200. Vedran asks, have you tried Scython for the project? I have not. Keithy says, man, that bug was messing with my sensor super bad. I'm excited for tonight's nightly build. Oh, you were seeing it with a separate thing? Don't understand your question. So what, if you're trying to get debug output on the ESP, what code is running on the ESP? Hmm. I hope we fix it, Keith. It is consistent though, and that, and that was the saving grace with it is like, if it happened, it would do the watchdog timer and start over and do the exact same thing. So we can see if um, see if it's available yet. So if you go to Adafruit CircuitPython. and then. Yeah, so this is the pool fix. So if we hit here, we can see it's still queued up. 
So yeah, it's not in S3 yet. This will tell you when it's gonna. It'll be in S3. This is the code that will will put it in S3. Oh, you can't see the desktop. Thank you. At some point, I'll make a thing where you can just control the view of mine. Uh, yeah. So the way that I got here is if you just go to the front page of CircuitPython and click this yellow dot for the latest commit, and then hit details, you can see the build status for the, the merge. Right, you had the debug. Yeah. But you have to you have to enable the debug output for the ESP32. So when I was doing when I did my circuit python build, I did debug equals 1. But I don't know for sure that you're putting circuit python in it and wanting to see circuit python debug output. It is not it is not the strings that you print from CircuitPython. Those do not go to the UART. You can make it do that, but it doesn't by default. You have to edit the code. <laughs> Keith says, I really need to make an advanced debugging cheat sheet for all of these things. Yeah, I'd be curious to know what you think should be on there. I did long ago make the, the GDB learn guide. Because um, I figured I should document it. It's stale, but it still applies. Um, Notepad++. Yeah, so here's here's my, my workflow, which is still my workflow for GDB. It's for just the M0s, but it I use it across basically everything but the the ESPs I use this workflow ESPs are different what did you use to make the heap graphic um, the actual image is rendered with the graph viz pie graph viz it's just a bunch of um, oh yeah Mr. Dalgard says excited for the internet fixes that's what I want to get to. We have half hour still, so I think I'll go back to that. But uh, yeah, it's Graphviz, and I just made like a bunch of PNGs and then put it all together as a video. So um, I hooked up a way to capture every every change to the heap. So I had this, uh, and it's documented in the, I assume it still works. I think there's a document in tools. Um, tools, build memory info, analyze heap dump. Right, this script renders a graph of the MicroPython heap at the given point in time it was dumped. Takes the binary dump of RAM, the binary of CircuitPython, and the linker map file. So this is using PyGraphViz. So that's what actually rendered it. So basically what it does is it just dumps RAM every step. Um, so basically it, it runs GDB by setting a breakpoint at uh, every... There's a breakpoint or a function call you can turn on that any, like, 
any action on the heap calls that function and therefore you can break on it and so you can get this a snapshot of memory at every point that the heap is changing and then you can render it all and and that gets you a video out of it which is cool i haven't looked in, into it in ages but it was really helpful for when when i did the long live stuff it it helped me understand like oh these things i could move over and how do i do that um so yeah all right let's talk nrf So, Mr. Dalgard filed this issue. I, hopefully I'm saying it right. You can try to correct me if, if I'm not saying it right. I'll try to say it right, but I may not be able to get it. So this is the issue. It was opened yesterday. And it says, crashes to horror fault handler when code is run and the alarm pin is triggered. Um, if you don't do the traceback module stuff, uh, it won't crash immediately. But it, I think it's actually, you don't need the traceback stuff, you just need this counter DNA is what's actually crashing. Um, connected to PC via USB, so light sleep is fake sleep. So light sleep is always fake sleep. Um, it's only deep sleep that we fake, but yeah. And it turns out on NRF, we don't actually deep sleep. <laughs> we kind of fake, we, we even fake it when we're supposed to be doing it for real, which I, I found out. Um, Dan reproduced it and said, like, this, this stuff looks suspicious. Um, adding to your finding, initializing a pin alarm and sleeping on it will actually break count IO, which it, it will no longer increment. Um, yeah, so I'm kind of in these weeds and there's a separate issue for the RP2040 that we're not going to talk about, but, um, there's a, there's a number of issues that I've found and I need to finish it. Generally, the problem is, is that when you, there's the NRF library for the GPIO TE, which is the GPIO thing that allows you to interrupt when pins change. So that's, that's kind of the common thread through here is like, these are all listen to an external pin and interrupt me when uh, a pin change comes in or a pin value changes. So Pulsin is one of those things that will use it. Count IO will use it. And um, Pin Alarm will use it as well. So those three things are kind of all interrelated and in that what they're doing is they're listening to a pin to, to figure out when it changes value. Um, so let me just get out of here. I actually don't need this branch anymore. Um, I don't need any of this. I only kept it around to keep you all up to date. It explains why I see the same power usage regardless of sleep mode, even time.sleep. Yes, I was actually surprised by this, um, but it doesn't go into system off. Um, I, I'll, I'll show you. I'll show you. What did I call it? Fix NRF GPAO TE crash. Okay. And this doesn't have the IDF update, so. I want to make it clean, not only do I have to switch it, but I have to update all of its sub-modules as well. 
Okay. Other. NRF 52 Express. Clean. Let's take a look what I've done so far. I won't maybe go into so much detail as I did last time. So this is Sublime Merge. This is a way for me to take a look at um, what I've been doing. So let's see what I've done so far. So in pin alarm, um, it had this configure pins for sleep. And this is called in deep sleep or light sleep. And the very first thing it does is it says, if the GPIOTE is initialized, then uninit it and reinitialize it. And so this is why I believe um, uh, Mr. Yalgard said, hey, if I have, if I do a pin alarm when CanIO is, is like, CanIO doesn't work once the alarm wakes back up. And that's because the alarm was just like completely resetting everything, which it didn't need to do. Um, and so I deleted it. Um, and then there's this error checking here. And so this is a, this is going to be a theme. This NRFX GPIOTE in init, uh, ha returns you an error message. This is the thing that I still have to do is that, um, here, for example, in counterio.counter, uh, it's not checking that this actually worked. And this is important because I think here there's this rotary IO raise an error if more than four encoders are used. So uh, this is actually the test program I have currently loaded. And um, it tries to initialize. This is from Pierre, I think. Yeah. Um, it tries to initialize five encoders. So this is the test code I have here. I tweaked it just a smidge because I don't have these names in board IO. So I actually imported microcontroller.pin as board and it worked. So basically like it doesn't crash when you try to create. <coughs> I shouldn't have had those peanuts. Uh, it doesn't crash when this, this fifth one is allocated. But if we look here, microdev says like, oh, there's actually only eight channels on this. So and each rotary IO is using two of them. Thus, you could only actually use four. Um, so basically, there's a number of places that we're not checking that it actually worked. Um, and this is one example of that. So if this in init doesn't work, and then you call in event enable, it actually causes an assertion error. <laughs> um, so yeah, so the, the, the remaining to do I have for myself is to fill in this uh, check um, to to raise an exception there. So that's what I've got to do still. It's I'm not allergic to peanuts. It's just they're still in my throat. Which is why I said, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Um, so I, I fixed the CanIO thing by just deleting the thing here. So that was Mr. Dalgard's thing. And then... Um, I looked at Rotary IO to implement Count IO. Um, yep, I'm guilty of that too. Uh, so this, I think, fixed the Count IO issue, where we weren't like initializing like this. It's a little tricky. There's this, this GPIO TE init. That's the whole thing, and then in the other things, there's just in init, which is an input init, 
And so that's for a specific pin, which is definitely different things. Um, and then for processor, wait, so that's a separate issue. So I moved the that global reset, which was in pulse in, I moved it into port. So it always happens. Um, we had a, a, a related issue where if you if you were relying on that, but then turned like if we turned pulse IO off, but had the other two, for example, like it would not reset correctly. So I'm just always resetting it here for now. Um, this was just a compiler warning that I fixed needed to be initialized. And then you can see here in an incremental encoder, I'm doing the same thing where I like, I've got to check this error message state um, and then raise an exception. So the, the next thing I have to do is figure out what exception I'm going to raise. Um, and then as I was testing this, like the original issue from Mr. Dalgard was talking about light sleep, but I also wanted to test deep sleep. And when I was testing deep sleep, I discovered that when waking up, um, we wait the two seconds. We wait the one second for safe mode and we wait another second for the BLE workflow stuff, which it's not supposed to do. It's not supposed to do that if you're actually waking up from an alarm, a deep sleep alarm. It's supposed to start up a lot faster. Um, and the way it does that is through, not this. Through this. So... This is the data sheet for the NRF. And there's this register. Um, let me make it bigger. So this is in the section for power, power management. This is called reset reason. The reset reason register will tell you why something reset. And this, we were seeing this earlier with the watchdog reset on the ESP as well. Like all, most microcontrollers or all of them have this reset manager thing. So from here, you can tell kind of why you started up. You can say, oh, was it the reset pin? Was it a watchdog? Was it a soft reset or software reset? Was there a lockup? Kind of like also kind of like a watchdog. Uh, are you waking up from system off? So this is what we thought a deep sleep would be. Um, there's also this LP comparator. Um, and that's also if you're in system off. Diff is... Uh, debug interface from system off, and then NFC from system off, uh, and then VBus. So this is like if the if the power on, if the power got into a good state, uh, that's what started us up, for example. Uh, so those are all the, the reasons the chip will tell us. Um, but if you look at what I fixed, uh, actually I should show, talking about the sleep state. So an NRF common how alarm init this is where we go to sleep so there's a alarm enter deep sleep this is the thing that that's actually supposed to do it what we see here is it says oh prepare for deep sleep and then set a timer and then call system on idle until alarm which i thought was originally when i looked at it it, it felt like it was an nrf thing but it's actually not it's actually further up in this file but what you'll notice here as well is that after this function finishes, it actually then cause, calls reset CPU, which means that the microcontroller, when it's starting up, is actually seeing it as a software reset. It's not seeing it as like a deep sleep reset. Um, 
So if we look here, if we look up at idle until alarm, so this is the deep sleep on the NRF right now. Um, and the reason that I, I looked at the PR for it and the reason that we don't actually do system off is that uh, the real-time clock doesn't work when system off. Only It's only pins, I think, that can wake it up. So instead they chose to, because it's a really good system on, sleep is still really good. Um, the decision was made in that PR to just do kind of a, a, faker, a faker deep sleep. Um, so this is keeping track of the timer stuff. And then it's actually just running like all the background stuff still, um, which it might leave USB on actually. Um, although it won't happen if USB is on anyway, it's weird. Um, it is turning off a flash, which I think is actually like one of the bigger pieces of, um, power saving. Uh, but it actually does do that for other things as well. Um, deep sleep is just a matter of what you think deep sleep is. Um, it's not the deepest of sleeps, <laughs> if you will. Um, it's not system off for uh, NRF. But the number is like, yeah, where is that? Hey, Johnny. Pull request and the author was John Tusak. So this is where it was. <laughs> the deepest of sleep sounds good right now. Anthony says what you think it is. Yeah, so Dan is, is showing here that like system off is just under a microamp, but we're in, like it's still in the microamp range, which is really good. Um, that will still burn through current like crazy. I didn't think so. I think, I thought it was still pretty good, but. Well, it's not, it's, it's not a loop. It is doing it interrupt to interrupt. I think it's pretty good. So like, here's, here's the actual loop. We run background tasks and we just do this port idle until interrupt. So that will do, um, that will do wait for interrupt. So, so you, this is essentially where you'll end up when you do time.sleep or, um, other sleeps too so it's it's pretty good i think um doctor is asking is there a good guide there is a good guide that dan wrote and it actually has numbers in it so we can take a look i use the wake on dpi to detect and current is low yeah so this is a good guide deep sleep with circuit python Post it in the Discord. Um, it talks about the different alarms that can wake you up. Which I'm pretty happy that we call them alarms. I'm, I'm happy with this API. Uh, so you know, time alarms, pin alarms, 
touch alarms, how to tell what woke you up, sleep memory. This is memory that uh, will be will remain over. And then there's this power consumption tab. So these has charts. Um, so here's the ESP32-S2. And we can see it's like 50, what does it say, 50 milliamps. And it's a little under 230 microamps when it's sleeping. And this is... Um, That's for the S2. And then pin alarm. Oh, maybe there's not NRF numbers. No, n well, other chip families. Oh, I think, wait, is this? This is a draft. <laughs> we should look at that. I don't know if we realize that it's still a draft. Uh. I think Lucian did these numbers. So you can see that like ST is down to 700. Um, NRF. Light sleep is still six milliamps. Hmm. I thought people said it was much better than that. This says six milliamps for NRF, which seems really high to me. And it's also on the blue fruit. Yeah, that's not a good example. Anyway, if anybody cares about power consumption, you really should check it yourself. You just said that about time sleep. Um, does that need an RTC or just based on an internal clock? It's usually based on an internal RTC. <laughs> Pierre says 6 milliamps, that's the NRF CPU running full, full on. Well, it's on a board that's got a bunch of stuff on it. Like, yeah. Sorry, I didn't, I, I don't think this, like, this page is actually marked, marked draft, so we need to, <laughs> need to review it and get it published. I'm logged in as myself, so I can see draft pages. Mr. Dalgard says the, tested the NRF to 0 0.3 milliamps in sleep for the Feather NRF. Oh, doctor can see that page. Really? It's it's red here. Maybe if you put the URL in, it's fine. But yeah, I'm. Power consumption is one of those things where you can just like. Yeah, you can see the guide, but not that page. You could you probably can't see this other chip families tab. Whatever. Remind me. Remind me to get that looked at. Um. Okay, let's wrap this up so I think to wrap this up I've just got to check um, changing the org is a 404 okay well good I'm glad it's protected uh, but but bug me about that we'll get that published or not wrap it in a bow and ship it usually uh, usually uh, pa new pages get reviewed that's why it 
hasn't been publicized yet. John Franco, Deep Sleep. Yeah. Um, and I'll plug, I just like to plug this. If, if you care about power, you should make sure you have a way to measure it. And if you don't already own a way to measure it, the recommendation that we have is this Nordic PPK2, which is what those numbers are coming from. Um, it's a really good way to, uh, really good, inexpensive. This is way cheaper than a lot of the other options. Um, when are the super chats coming to this channel? What is a super chat? I don't know what that is. Yeah, exactly. So doctor says, I have a project I want to leave in the woods and low power consumption with your grant for that. This is exactly, you need something like this to, to be able to monitor the power usage. Super chat is a way to throw money at you on YouTube. Uh, we used to have that. People have done that to me before, but maybe somebody turned it off for our channel. Um, PPK2, yeah. If you want to make power consumption in CircuitPython better, please do. But it's a never-ending task. Minnesota Mentet says, I would do that, Scott. Um, I do have a GitHub sponsors page if you do want to sponsor me personally. But honestly, like, just buy stuff from Adafruit. They pay me well. Um, yeah, they treat me well. Yeah, adafruit.com is how you super chat. Yeah, and I do have GitHub sponsors if you really do want it to go to me. Okay, um, we need to figure out an exception for this. Because that's the last piece of work I need to do. So I'll, I want to get this out the door today. So yeah, that's that's how this deep this deep sleep works on the NRF. So if somebody wanted to go in and actually make it deep sleep, then I would be okay with that. Um, and you get stuff too for your Ada Super Chat. I order free stuff from Adafruit all the time, so don't worry about that. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, oh yeah, true. And if, if you do adafruit.com as the super chat, then you get stuff too. Yeah. It's a win-win. Okay. So what exception do we want to throw? Uh, I think we do value error. Let's take a look at... PWMI, what errors will we throw if it's busy? Ah, this is a bad one to look at. Invalid pin. All timers in use. That sounds very similar to what we're going to do. So let's take a look at shared bindings. PWML. Invalid pin. All channels in use. That sounds good. Thoughts thoughts on what people think this text should be? 
ideally we would reuse an error message because then shouldn't this have didn't I add the <laughs> that's why it's super I thought I added it No, I guess I didn't do the checking there yet. I had deep sleep stuff on my Arduino NRF52. I had to go down to the register level to turn it on, but it really goes to bed. I'll have to look it up and see how I can help. That would be awesome. I think having good deep sleep in CircuitPython is a huge game changer because most of the time you have to go to the register level. But what CircuitPython has going for it is that it's CircuitPython that's keeping track of what is being used right now, which means that it can be really aggressive in turning things off because it knows what you're using. Whereas in like C code, you have to, um, in C code, you kind of like, you write the C code and you have to write what, what can be turned off or on. But because CircuitPython is more dynamic, it can also be more dynamic in power. So I think has a huge potential. There are two different things that can come out of this. It can, I was looking at it here. So it says um, in init can either give you success, busy, meaning the pin is already used. But I think that's going to be very unlikely given that CircuitPython tracks pin usage already. So I'm not going to differentiate between these two things because the, the thing we're really checking against is this GPIO TE channel is a, is no no channel is available. So like that's basically what we're saying. So what I'm going to do is just add that. Oh. So we're going to add that check to pulse in. No soft fail messaging. What do you mean by that? What do you mean by soft fail? Yep, have to keep track of everything. Well, yeah, that's why like CircuitPython does that for you, which I think is really can be hugely beneficial. Okay, so this is an interesting, well, more interesting case. So for rotary, I, rotary encoder, we actually have two. Um, and if the second one fails, but the first one doesn't, then we actually need to free the first one uh, before we raise the exception because we, we don't want to hold on to it. And then counter needs to do this as well. All right, so that should be good. And if we look at, this is kind of annoying. I'm just going to cheat and amend my last commit. And now I can kind of see it all in one place. So here we can see like, okay, in pin alarm, we're deleting this complete reset, which I guess we need pin alarm to check too. Does pin alarm check? And pin alarm. 
doesn't. So I think that because it does its own stuff, which might still be a problem. <sighs> I'm going for better, not perfect. But it's actually, well, I guess it is. So it's doing this in a knit. So I think we actually want to move this. And I guess we need config too. Although that's not going to work. No, that's not going to work. So configure pins is also called for deep sleep, and deep sleep will require it to be set again. So what I think I actually want is there's a way to just check. But it's not Maybe I don't need to do that. I don't know. Don't know. I think I'm gonna cheat and not solve that. I'm gonna leave that be. So we're not gonna correctly check for pin alarm. Don't tell anyone. We weren't before, so not worried about it. So for counter, we're now checking correctly. We'll say all channels in use with a runtime error. And then, so for processor, I, I didn't fully explain this. So this is the change that allows us to, to correctly say that we woke from deep sleep, even though, even though it's a, Not the list you looked at at last were error checking returns. Correct. So I was looking at um, the pulse or PW, PWM out is used internally. So its API uh, has returned, returns an enum or, or defines values for different errors. And then they get mapped to error messages. But here, 
Um, because these the, these things aren't used internally, I just raise it directly. Um, I think that answers your question, James. Okay, pulse in. So we're going to fix this reset thing, but we're not going to... Well, no, pulse in. Okay, we are checking as well, and we're, we moved the reset. So for rotary or for incremental encoder, we are checking both A and B. And we're always resetting it now and this build thing. So we should be able to make it and load it on here. So I've got a <laughs> yay. Glad you understood, James. So here's my Feather NRF52840, which is not the right one. There's one on my desk here that I was using. Um, and I've got these fancy two wires that I touched together as a way to wake it up. And apparently I haven't built here yet, so I need the source. That. Do do do. There is a dog. The neighbor dog is really loud. Maybe that's what you heard. Implicit declaration. All right, let's figure out. I think it's in Pi runtime actually. So that's for counter. So encounter will do. Include. Oh, it doesn't have a license header. Runtime.h, I think. It might have been me. I need a feathering with one large button. Redefinition, because I copied and pasted. So we'll test this and then I'll go the PR out and people can tell me I didn't do it quite right. I need a Neo Key Featherwing. I have one somewhere. <laughs> it's a good idea. I don't have one on my desk though. That is a good idea though. Why 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 have a fancy feather wing when I just need two wires? <laughs> and yeah, Mr. Dalgard points out that there is a user button. Which there is. Again. Too hard. I like my wires. If I used the button I would have had to figure out how it was connected. Okay. Ports NRF build. Plug it in. Double tap to get the bootloader. Copy it over. Load, 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 load. Where's my TO window? Change what I'm connected to. 
It's blinking too red like it crashed, which it should have done. But Tio's not seeing any output. There we go. Oh, why that happens this is a bug that has been on here forever that I have not been able to figure out there is some timing thing or something on NRF where this auto reload is on it's like 16 characters gets sent back into the REPL sometimes just just very weird and I don't know why it happens and it's yeah it annoys me um, but yay, we're getting our exception. We're getting all channels in use. This is what we want. Uh, and this, this is with the test for the five rotary encoders. So I was in here, so I figured I would knock that bug out too. So let's, um, assume that it's all good. And, oh, we're in... TO land. Hit commit amend. Uh, crashes. I check it. Everything is okay. Fixes. It fixes this one. Fifty two forty. And fixes this one as well, 5211. And I think that's it. I think it's those two. I was looking through the NRF um, issues earlier, and I actually was able to close a couple other ones too. I like this uh, theme, uh, Pierre. This is neat. So yeah, I was looking here. So this is Mr. Dalgard's one that we'll fix. This one's weird. And this is the one we'll fix too. This is an interesting thing from Thomas, who I don't think is on the stream today. <sighs> Talking about how you switch between light sleeping and um, counting. Which is interesting. I think we may need to blur the lines a bit and maybe like you could sleep on key matrices or something. Because that's what it's used for, I think. Um, this sleep thing, I'm not going to look at. Uh, Rotary encoder is hard. This is weird, and I wonder if this is not... A, I wonder if this is fixed. I don't know. There's lots of issues. Anyway. Docusaurus with a few CSS changes. 
The user button is, of course, trapped underneath the display. Yeah, it's kind of under there. Okay, um, let's get undistracted and, and, okay, those are good. Chip it. Make a PR. Y'all can test it and tell me I didn't fix it. And in fact, uh, reviews would be really helpful because uh, Dan and Jeff are on vacation next week. So now's a great time to get more reviewers. And let me just label it. Uh, it's not Beely. What am I thinking? CircuitPython API. NRF. Uh, enhancement. Milestone 7. Great. Um, now if we look at our issues list again. 4, 7. We can see that we have five open. Three of them have pull requests. Uh, one is for TAC still, and then there's this uh, RP2040 does not release count.io PWM slice on VM reboot. So I, I'm going to stop streaming, but I might actually just hammer that one out now because it should be really quick. Um, any other final questions before we get out of here? I know it's late, and we do actually have people drop off as it as we cross the two hour mark. Um, James says we learn and enjoy doing this. So one day down the line, someone will give a buck. <laughs> DocuSaurus, I'll have to look at that. Yeah, walk is a good idea, doctor. I might actually do that too. All right, uh, have a good weekend, everybody. Uh, as, uh, let me just recap quickly the, the spiel. Um, I'm sponsored by Adafruit to work on CircuitPython. If you want to support them and by extension me, please go to adafruit.com and purchase some hardware there. Um, I think there are Adabox spots as well, so take a look at those. Um, if you want to chat with me and a lot of others outside of the span of a stream, uh, make sure you're on the Discord server by going to the URL adafru.it slash Discord. Uh, deep dives happen every week, 2 p.m. Pacific uh, on Fridays. Next week will be on Friday as well. And I think that's it. I, I like that Doctor put a Discord link in the Discord. Um, Keithy says, James says, thank you. Minnesota Mentat, Nerdoc, thank you all. Um, I'll pet the cat and get out of here. Thanks again. And uh, thank you to David, DCD, for taking notes. I uh, really appreciate it, and I hope your vacation was good. All right. Time to wake the cat up. Did you know? Did you know I was going to come pet you?
All right, have a great weekend, everyone. <laughs> Bye.